There's never been a shortage of sporting coverage in the media, from drug scandals to doping, violence and assault. It's a wonder that some athletes actually have the time to compete in their chosen pursuits, given their broadly reported extracurricular activities. And although we are coming to hear and appreciate the ghostwritten and first-hand accounts of life as an athlete, warts and all, it's rare we get to understand the athlete in all their various forms, the product of simultaneous existences as an intellect, a community member, a friend and an impassioned dream chaser. I suppose the same can be said for students. Beyond the party animal stereotypes or nerdy and awkward characterization, we don't often hear about the dedicated and personable students who contribute to research, excel at coursework and contribute to collegial and everyday life. Bright sparks who translate bookish intelligence to real-world applications with ease. Given the relative rarity of both categories, it's remarkable that a tiny, tiny intersection exists between both the athlete and the student. Today, I'm here to introduce you to this incredibly rare group. And I'm not talking about athletes who pose casually with books, nor am I addressing students who play recreational sports. I'm talking about elite student-athletes, individuals who study at one of Australia's elite group of eight universities whilst competing in their chosen pursuit on an international or national stage. And if that criteria wasn't rigorous enough, I only want you to meet those who are blessed with more than just bronze and brain. Student-athletes with other pursuits on the side too. Think businesses, blogs, all of those things that you wouldn't expect in the day-to-day life of a student-athlete. Plus, of course, a really cool personality. That is a non-negotiable. People like Sophie Ash, Australian team mogul skier, Bachelor of Fine Arts Animation Studio at the University of Melbourne, and resident artist of this podcast cover art. Talented, hey? A really brilliant person too. So thanks, Soph. You are a legend. So before I introduce you to our first guest, let me quickly introduce myself. My name is Hannah Kuha. I'm a French Honours and Diploma of Music student at the University of Melbourne. I play netball with the Western Sting in the Australian Netball League. And I'm here to introduce you to some of the most brilliant people I've ever met. This podcast is my little project and I want you to know that it's not funded nor is it formally supported by any Australian educational institution or sporting body. I'm here because, simply, I want you to meet my friends. I want you to hear their stories, take inspiration from their life philosophies and to join them in their mission to make the world a superlative place. It'll be fun, trust me. Are you feeling ready to go? Let's jump into episode one. Today we're joined by Simone Brick, a 25-year-old mountain runner from Perth. Simone is a brilliantly talented athlete. She's the reigning Australian mountain running champion and has held the title since 2018. She won the New Zealand mountain running championships in 2019, as well as the two bay 28 kilometer trail run. She's had success on the athletic circuit too, but even more impressively, she has success in the academic world as well having studied a Diploma of Nursing, Personal Training, Nutrition, and now trying her hand at a Bachelor of Biomedicine at the University of Melbourne, where she majors in Physiology. When Sim's not studying ferociously or being crowned the champion of yet another mountain, Simone also runs a blog named Still We Rise, 
containing poetry, photography, recipes and race reports, amongst other things, Simone provides a very brave insight into her experiences living with all kinds of mental illness, including depression and anxiety, PTSD, disordered eating, self-harm, disassociative disorder, protracted withdrawal syndrome, plus other conditions. So, a very remarkable and a very talented woman. Sim, thank you for joining me. I think it's really funny because whilst we've been training at the same gym at Melbourne Uni for a few years, I feel like every time I see you, there's this special aura when you walk in the gym and it's, you know, that sim, she's got her head down, she's working hard, champion at work, don't disrupt her, says our (laughs) coach Tony Sefton. Do you reckon that's a fair assumption? You come in and you get the work done. Yeah, pretty much. Like I don't, I probably, I'm a very different person when I'm either in the gym or at training than outside of it because yeah I'm kind of I don't half-ass anything so it's kind of yeah my concentration and time and I love it so yeah I'm I'm intense but hey that's it works for me it's quite funny because we've spoken about and you've told me about you know thriving in chaos that whole idea that that's something you can do but watching you in the gym it's this sudden sense of calm and it looks like this is your place You're just doing your thing. It doesn't seem like your life is chaotic at all. You're just in your place, in your zone, getting the work done. That's honestly how it feels. Like I can be like living the most chaotic day and I'll literally walk into the gym or get arrive at one of my running training sessions and it'll just be, okay, forget it all, breathe deep, do your thing and it's best part of every day. So I love it. I feel like you have to be that kind of zen if you're attempting to do running firstly, but mountain running, everything about mountain running, I find insane. You started it at the age of 23. Yeah. That's relatively late for an athlete to find a new beginning in a sport. How did that all come about? Yeah. Well, I th- I suppose I found my start in running overall late, very late, because I think I started running when I was, what, 21. And before that, I was one of those people going, yeah, nah, I'll run 100 metres and that's my limit. (laughs) And running was punishment. Like I was a basketball player, soccer player, um, anything that didn't involve much running. And if you chucked me in an athletics carnival, I'd throw a discus. Um, So finding myself as a distance runner um, kind of was a weird thing. Pinch me moment of going, I hate this sport, but now I love it. Getting a start in mountain running, that kind of came by accident too because it was one of those things where I'd just run state champs on the track the next week. I was like, hey, there's a mountain race. Let's just see how this goes. I can't run up hills to save myself, but this looks fun. It's it's on a mountain. And rocked up and lo and behold, because I was in my track mindset of you do not walk. Like no matter how steep it is, just don't walk. I put myself through more pain in that race than I reckon I have in most of my mountain races since because in my head I was like, no, you can't stop. Like you have to keep going. One of the most painful things, but then I managed to win. So um, it was kind of ignorance is bliss because I didn't know that I was on such steep terrain. Normally people usually like hike this stuff. There's me like absolutely busting a gut trying to run up the thing. And it was kind of stupid and I probably wouldn't race the same way again, but it worked. I just love the fact that you recognise also from an early age, like, no, running is not my thing. And then you've ended up in the most painful discipline of them all. (laughs) How did you actually get the start into ATHS? In a way, that was from my transition from trying to overcome mental health and... I was struggling in my team sports at that point because it's kind of like you rock up to a team sport and with the amount of anxiety, different OCD traits I had and all sorts of different things going on, my brain would not let me relax on the pitch, on the soccer pitch anymore because 
if I missed a pass, it wasn't just affecting me. I was like, crap, I've let the whole team down. And it just really wasn't helping my mental space. But then I found I still love moving. I've always loved. It's hard to hold me still. <laughs> um, and so I found that I'd go out for a run and it was kind of that thing of, oh, okay, this feels good because the work I put in, I get rewards from. And if I mess it up, it's only affecting me. And therefore the mental space and clarity it gave me, I kind of, I'd never previously pushed through that point that, I've found myself in a few times since with running where when you start, everything hurts and it sucks and you're just kind of like, why the hell am I doing this? But if you push through that stage and let the body adapt, you do, you get to the point where you all of a sudden you're running 10, 12 Ks and it feels ridiculously easy. Like you're breathing better. You feel better after a run than before. And I'd never pushed to that point before. And as soon as I got to that point, I was kind of like, oh, okay, this is why people actually enjoy this stuff. Like, so, and then ending up in probably the more painful side of things, that was just because I then developed the mindset of, okay, if something's hard, I have to do it. If something, if, I, if something scares me, just go have a crack and see what happens. Because in previous um, endeavors and other things, that was always what got me to where I wanted to be and so yeah I kind of look you look at a mountain and you stand at the bottom and you kind of go okay we're racing to the top of this thing guys and it's like you're redlining from like step three so it's in that way I suppose a bit more similar to track than road or that sort of thing because it's like there's no let up like at the most recent world mountain champs I think we took off at like a three minute per kilometer pace and I can't oh even gosh. run that on the track <laughs> so it's and yeah it's interesting but it plays into some of my strengths of like this is hard but if you literally just grit it out and keep moving forward as fast as you can you can do fairly well and I think a lot of people when it comes to mountain running in particular, they let the mental side bring them down when physically they could. Like I look at people and I go, I reckon you'd be faster than me, but you just get halfway up the hill and go, this hurts, this sucks and stop. And I think that's one of the most beautiful parts about the sport is that it is so bloody challenging, not only physically, but mentally. I mean, being an individual athlete, you have to have the most resilient mindset or else you're the one taking yourself out of the race. It's not the race doing it to you. It's you with yourself. Did you find that on your path from just discovering the sport to now being at a fairly elite level, did you find that along the journey there were the question marks in your mind of, hey, could I actually do this? Is this just a pursuit or is this something that I want to take really seriously in my life? Yeah, I think the whole entire first year, I felt like I fluked every single run. And in my head, it was that whole thing of going, I'm not a good athlete. Like, and it was constantly going, oh, there'd be other people there beating me if only they rocked up to the start line sort of thing. And especially with how small mountain running is in Australia and how kind of it's not as competitive as most other disciplines. And so it's, I know, I'm fully aware, it's very easy to get a big ego and think that you're the top shit when really it's just that it's a small sport and head across to Europe and you're kind of back of the pack. Um, and that wasn't helped by my first mountain, world mountain champs. I was like, I was so sick on the start line. It was ridiculous. But I like just getting through that. And then 2019 helped in a way. There was one race in particular when I ran the New Zealand mountain champs and I like that race I just went across to do for me sort of thing because I hadn't run another championship race since the first Oz Mountain Champs which I honestly still felt like was a fluke and I was like no this is just an absolute like I can't repeat that and then I went to New Zealand and it was I had that feeling of I controlled the race and I led from gun to tape 
and finished feeling like if someone was there pushing me, I could have run faster. And it was after that I kind of went, hang on, you know what, maybe maybe I'm not crap at this and it wasn't a fluke. Um, and since then, I suppose I've mentally changed it a bit of that whole idea of when you rock up to a start line, you're not going to be at the front if you don't believe you belong at the front. Yeah. And because it's easy, it's super easy. In that first race I did where I won, I actually freaked out halfway up the mountain because I knew I was in the lead. But not only that, it was just a trail run event and I was third overall. So I knew I only had two men ahead of me. And I also knew there were sponsored athletes behind me. And I literally stopped for a second, absolutely freaked out, got the massive imposter syndrome of going, I feel like everyone in this race knows something I don't and I should not be here right now. And having to overcome that in my first race, because then my thing then was, well, what's the point in stopping? Have a crack. But I remember until I crossed the tape of that line, I was convinced there's someone about to come past me. There's always someone there. And that got me to the finish line in really good stead and then like a fair way in front. And so I've tried to race every race since then like that, just going, you know what, no matter where I am in the race, there's someone on my shoulder, whether that is actually another person or whether it's just me being on my shoulder the yeah. past me or sort the of imposter syndrome on your shoulder oh chasing i know you as well. it, yeah i get a lot of that still <laughs> um but um it's slowly it is evolving like my mental approach to it is definitely evolving as i try and like take myself a little bit more seriously and not do the whole oh yeah like i'm okay sort of thing and just go no i'm literally chucking my whole life at this so i think that's one of those things about being a young athlete female athlete all of those things where you do sometimes think if you've had some success and it's like oh my gosh am i meant to be here was was this all accidental but I think you're very humble in looking at your results. Like there are so many first places and I feel like you've had so much success so quickly. Has it been difficult to adjust your perception of yourself or the way that you structure your days and things like that to reflect that new attitude of, hang on, this wasn't accidental. I'm going to dedicate my whole life to this. Um, in a way, yes, but in a big way, no, because I had just as much of an intense approach before I had any success as I do now. Like I was the crazy person that was middle of the pack, not doing that well, but I'd be doing a longer warm up than everyone. I'd be doing activations just because I saw better people doing that thing. And people would be like, well, you're doing all that and you're still coming like middle of the pack. And I'm like, yeah, but you've got to act like an elite before you can be an elite. Yeah. And that was my approach for the two years before I even jumped on a mountain and tried to run that. And so in that way, like, no, my approach is almost exactly the same. It's just that now I have confidence and results to back it up, which obviously that always is going to make a difference because I expect more of myself. Um, But it's even managing the expectations in a way that is different as well, because with the way I came into the sport as a recreational fun runner, like I would just rock up to fun runs and I wouldn't care. Like I think my first ever fun run was run for the kids and I came 7,000th out of 8,000. Like I was back. And so I have zero problem rocking up to a race and being at the back. Like if I'm rocking up to a race and I'm just training, like that doesn't bother me. But then sometimes now I find I rock up to a start line and all of a sudden everyone expects you to win. Yeah. And sometimes I'm just like, guys, like this is a training week and I'm just, I just, I love racing and I like rocking up and having fun. And sometimes you do want to do that without that expectation of no, 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 go win, have that crazy, like 
mindset. Like I, I like chatting to people mid race if I'm just kind of <laughs> having a race for fun, but yeah, it, it changes that aspect where you can't rock up to, I used to love the anonymity of just yeah. rocking up to a start line and being one of the pack. Um, which is why, like, I'm actually looking forward this year. I am racing a bit more overseas and I'll have that a bit more again, where it's like, you just rock up one of the pack. No one knows who the hell you are. And you just run for fun. Yeah. Well, yeah. I've always, once I'm, once I'm over the start line, I'm usually competitive no matter what. Like <laughs> so, the competitive will jump in at some point. Unless, white line fever, yeah. Yeah. White line fever. Although if I have a dedicated training race, I honestly, like I'm very good at not over, overstretching things and going, you know, it's a training race. It's fine. It's a session. Have you found with the added expectations that's added pressure um, in your own mind that now you're expecting big results so therefore mentally that's had to change your process a little bit? Only at the big races. Like sometimes I actually do find I'm expecting less of myself than other people expect of me because I'm very aware of the fact that and every time you rock up to a start line or anything, I'm the only one that knows what I've been through to get there. Like there was a couple of races I rocked up to and it was like at the end of my biggest week of training ever. And other people can be looking at you going, oh yeah, you're this person, like you're going to win or you're going to be at the front or you get the course record and stuff. And sometimes I'd rock up and if I was in that mindset, that's fine. But there'd be times I'd rock up and I sometimes feel bad where you kind of go, no guys, like I'm really not just here to like run. Um, and then people will be like, oh yeah, but you'll win anyway. And I'm like, well, maybe, but maybe not. Like I've learned from the start pretty much to not care what other people around me are doing, unless it's a championship race, in which case I'll run it like a championship race where I'm there to win and that's it. But in other races, I'm very good at running my race and it's kind of, I'll go off at the pace I know I can go off at and I'll finish at the pace I know I can finish at for that day. Yeah. Um, you control your own controllables because you're the one who knows what you've been up to and what how yeah. the week's been for you. And even at like the big races where there's big expectations and that sort of thing, it's like you rock up to the start line, it's like, okay, I can control my race. I can control my effort. I can't control if there's better people here on the day. Yeah. So uh, my thing is if I cross the line knowing that anyone that beat me was a better athlete on the day, that is A-OK. <laughs> if I cross the line knowing I didn't give my all and I probably could have beat them, that, that gets at me for months. <laughs> like One of those things that you lie in your bed at 10 o'clock at night and you think, yeah, I remember that five yep. months ago, that one time, that little sprint. Yep. I feel like it's one of those things as an athlete, like those things, they do weigh on your mind and people think that it's ridiculous. But when you have to be so neurotic about your athleticism or your race, all those kinds of things, like these are the things that make you really good, the fact that you care so much about your race and that you do remember those moments and you take them into the next yeah. race and things like that. It's like all the failures and everything, they're the best motivators. Like that's yeah. why I, as much as it sucks in the moment, like I cross the line after a race that's gone crap and I'm like, okay, there's my motivation for training for the next three months. Like, and it kind of, it sorts you out for the big, really hard training sessions that you get to the end of the last rep and you're like, okay, I'm not having a repeat of that race. So let's go hard. <laughs> like you kill yourself a bit more which is in the end progression. So Yeah. You're also studying at the moment. You're at Melbourne studying a Bachelor of Biomedicine. Do you find that that same mindset, that whole translates from sport into study, <laughs> that, you know, the same setbacks in sport remind you in uni to keep going? And yeah. It's it's interesting because I'm, I'm fairly good throughout the semester, but come exam time, oh, my gosh, you do not want to be around <laughs> me. <laughs> because passion-wise, I'm just as passionate about my studies as I am about 
my sport, which is actually a, like a real blessing because any class I rock up to, I want to be there and yep. I want to learn the stuff, which is a huge difference from thinking that you have to learn it or just doing something because everyone says you should study. Like yeah. I entered the study like so late after school like I didn't enter this bachelor until I think six years after high school and by the time I entered it I wanted to do it like I was so thankful to be able to study um because I had a few years there where I could do nothing and so that makes it a bit easier but it also means that yeah come exam time or any tests or anything like that I I am my worst critic (laughs) so if I drop marks like I'm yeah, I'm not happy with myself. That being said, last semester was sort of a big step forward for me in the way that I got into world champs and I only had eight weeks to prepare for world champs and I'd been off for four months with injury and everything was just felt like it was getting too much. And so I yep. dropped a subject after census date, which did my head in. And then also <laughs> the subject that I did keep I did really well throughout semester, but then the exam was worth like 70%. Now, the problem was the exam was literally the day before I flew out for world champs and it yeah. was a week to the day before the race. Yeah. And so I kind of had to suck up like six weeks before going, okay, do your best throughout the semester and let the exam take care of itself. Because if I knew, if I burned the candle at both ends that close to the race, I was going to not sit the exam well out of stress and not race well because out of I'd stressed myself even more in the build-up. And so, yeah, I'm getting a bit better with, like, find, figuring out the priority in the moment. Yeah. Um, but that's definitely an evolving process. <laughs> I love that you think that your passion for both uni and racing is a blessing because I think sometimes, and I feel it definitely in my life, sometimes it feels like a curse and you just <laughs> feel a bit tired and you like to be like any other normal 25-year-old girl and just watching a bit of Netflix. But you know you can't because you've got five training sessions coming up, you've got exams, <laughs> you've got uni, you've got all these other things going on. Sometimes do you wish you could just take a breath and have a different life a little bit? Um, both, yes and no. Like I'm in a way blessed with the path that I've had sit me down in front of Netflix or anything and I might last half an hour and then I'll be like, no, done. Like, I need to do something. Like, I want to do something. And yeah. it's not, it's no longer a need. Even when I do sit down to Netflix, it's documentaries. <laughs> I'm, one of those, I'm one of those people. I actually don't remember. It would have been about three or four years ago when I actually watched a TV show. Like, I'm not even kidding. I don't sit yeah. down to watch anything. Um, and yes, when I have time off, I'll sit and I watch Netflix, but they're all like documentaries or things I'm learning from or mountain movies where it's like you're showing mountainscapes and that sort of thing um (laughs) yes not passionate passionate at all but in terms of living normal like no I look at that and I'm like that looks boring like even in the times I am dead tired like there will be many nights my poor parents get me arriving home after a 13 hour day in absolute tears going, I can't do it anymore. And I'll walk in the door, lie on the floor and just be like, okay, just give me 10 minutes. Like I'm done for the day. And I'm just like, I can't do anything else. But even in those moments, I'll lie there and I go, I feel like so crap. This is awesome. It's that perverse pleasure in that my body is exhausted and I can't handle anything more, but geez, I'm proud of the day that I had. Yeah. And also the looking back, it's like, okay, where were the moments that I had the most progress from? Where were the moments I learned the most? And it's the moments that you struggle the most. Yes. Okay. I like everyone has those crap days where you wish everything was different, blah, blah, blah. But even on those days, I make sure I end the day going, do you actually? And it's kind of, it's never the truth. Like you, you just look at it and you're like, no, I know I'm privileged. And I know that it's amazing what I'm able to do. 
And yes, other people would look at it and they probably look at my life and go, it's restrictive, it's hard, like it's ridiculous hours and it's like you wouldn't want to do it and it's obsessive in a way. But I'm like, well, if you're not obsessed about what you do every day, then what are you doing? There's no place you'd rather be. And the judgment from the outside, I guess, doesn't matter when you're so rock solid in your own process. Yeah. Um, Do you have many people in your support team and things like that? It sounds like you're a pretty resilient person by yourself, but I assume you'd have to have a lot of people around. Yeah, and it's kind of your lifestyle filters for people. And so it's amazing. Like I've got so many amazing friends that we can go a couple of months without catching up and they understand that I'm training hard or I'm off somewhere in the world (laughs) and I'll come back and we'll catch up like it's was and we're just as close as ever. I have those non running circle kind of people I always remember where I came up from where I'm kind of like the people that supported me back in the day when I wasn't winning races and I wasn't anything special whatsoever and saw potential in me then I'm very much keep gravitating back towards them so like I train with a group called the Crosby crew and my massage therapist even has been with me since like well before and he was encouraging me like ages before I was ever good Um, And those sorts of people, I cherish those because it's kind of like, well, I know that I don't need to win races for you to be here to support me. And then I do find that like, obviously my main supports are my family. And then I've got my medical team, which I have spent years choosing and being very careful about and coordinating um, from my psychiatrist to my psychologist and then also my like sports physicians. And they're the people like... I know for any struggle I have, I've got someone to go to. Yeah. And then having, obviously, the uni program, the elite athlete program, that's been actually incredible because for the first year I was at uni, I wasn't in there. Yeah. And then that added a whole nother layer of support and having Tony there for always being able to look over training and then just having other elite athletes, no matter what sport they're in. It was the first time I'd been so much around other people that understood yeah. if you were there and you were all of a sudden had to leave because you're like, no, I've got training. And people would be like, surely you can skip training today. And you're like, no, man, no. that doesn't happen. Training <laughs> is my life and yes. you don't understand. And I think at uni, that's something that a lot of um, elite student athletes face is that whole idea of being between worlds. You know, at training, you're too nerdy or you're too bookish. Yep. But then at uni, you know, why are you always sweaty and in yeah. exercise clothes? Or like, why do you have training again? Like, this is your second session for the day. Like, when are you going to study? And it's that whole thing of being in that space where it's like, where do I fit in? Yep. Which side am I? Am I the brains? Am I the brawn? Am I neither? Am I both? Yeah. Like, I feel like it's one of those really confusing things to go through. Yeah. I feel, almost feel like that everywhere I go. Because, like, even in the athletics world, it's like I'm not the track athlete. I'm not the track road on the mountain trail. But then if I rock up at the mountain trail, I am the track road athlete because that's <laughs> where I came from. And so I get that there. And then at uni, yes, it's like – you're like you rock up to uni and you're the jock but then if I start talking uni talk at training people are like what (laughs) who is she another language don't understand organic chemistry and physics guys it's cool promise (laughs) (laughs) and then you end up just in your own little world like you know what I've carved my niche but I guess then that's the power of meeting you know similar um student athletes where it's like oh we can exist in our own space of between the two I mean does that play on your own perception of your own identity as in like you've spent years trying to find out you know am I this road athlete am I this am I that am I here for my brains like how has your personal compass kind of aligned over the years I think 
after going through everything I went through with like severe mental health and all those years of just being in hospital and figuring out in a way who I was, my compass is very much, yep, I'm me. Like, and so everyone I meet, I'm like, okay, yes, here's me. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be open about anything. Chat to me about anything. Here's who I am. If you don't like it, that's okay. Like I have zero problems with that. Just you don't have to be around me and I don't have to be around you. So the, and, and it's, not a, it's not a beef. It's not a grudge. It's not anything. I'm just like, yeah, we're different people. That's a-okay. That's cool. So I'm very much like I don't, like I don't try to fit in anymore anywhere. I don't care where I fit because to me it's that whole idea of you can't search for that externally. That's an internal thing. And I'm like, okay, I can sit there at the end of the day and go, I fit with my values. I fit with what I want to do. I fit in with me and therefore I fit in the world. Like that's like my world then has gotten so much more positive yeah. when it was like, okay, fit in with yourself first and then you'll fit in everywhere you go. Because there's no such thing as not fitting in. Like, you're in your own body. You're fine. Yeah. And once you create your world around you, it's like the need to fit into something. No, that's fine. Let everyone fit around you. Yeah. And I think there's so much beauty to come from that. Is there ever? And so people, so many people think that it's, like, selfish in a way to, like, yeah. okay, because I'm very good now. I know my boundaries. I know my limits. And, yes, I push them, but I push them in my way. And yep. so I'll happily say no to things that I'm like, not too much and that sort of thing. Or even if in the past it would have been one of those things of going, oh, I really should do this. Like it's going to help that person. So I have to do it. And I'm very much now I've realized that if I look after myself first and look after myself first and foremost and to the most capacity I have, I then actually have more time and space to help other people. Yeah. Rather than if I all of a sudden say yes, 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 yes. And then I fall apart. Then I'm out of the I'm out of the picture for both myself and others. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense. And so many people I see, like they go, I go, why are you doing that? And like, oh, because I have to. I should. And I'm like, mm -hmm. the shoulds, the no. coulds. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's one of those things as a young person, as an older person, like figuring out those boundaries is something that's really challenging. And I can imagine, you know, we as students, we hear a lot about things like um, student suicides and especially around the biomedicine faculty. Student mental health seems to be a really, really big problem and especially around exam time. Yeah. Is that mindset of like your sure self-confidence and your, you know, creating your own world, is that something that you found to be challenging? Challenging, particularly within, you know, the st studying biomedicine and that kind of biomed culture. Yeah, well, I think the culture comes from you put a whole bunch of type A high achievers in a room <laughs> and there's like, there's going to be struggles. Yeah. But and a lot of it comes from that should sort of thing. And for me, because I've built myself back up from the bottom of not being able to do anything, I've I know like the perspective I have is one of. I can get caught up and stressed as they all come about exams and assignments and all that sort of stuff. But I can also take a step back and go, hang on, where were you three years ago? Where does this fit in the scheme of life? Take a deep breath. And yes, it's important. You're allowed to give your all, but it's also okay to fail. And that's the thing I think I've got on my wall. It is hard to fail, but it is harder not to have even tried to succeed. Mm. And that's kind of one of the things that I'm just like, okay, don't let the... F because I, for years, so many years, it was like, I wouldn't, that which I see many people do, you don't give your all at anything because then if your all isn't good enough, what what is? Yeah. And it's that fear of failing. And I see that in the culture, in like the biomedicine and all those sorts of things. 
I see all the struggles that I've sort of faced and so many people that they don't know how to face them head on and there's no support to face them head on. And kind of, I go, okay, if you face this head on now, it's going to suck for the next year or so, but then you're going to be freer than you've ever been in your life. Yeah. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people get caught up in with university and studies and all that sort of thing, especially if you go straight from high school into university. And if you're trying to do biomedicine and elite athletics or even just biomedicine, like full time, like that's insane. Yeah. And the pressure that people can feel. But I feel like that often comes from not being able to take a step back and see the big perspective. And people go, I have to get this done in three years. Like this degree is going to take me like eight years. I can guarantee it because as soon as things get too big, I'll drop a subject. That's fine. No problems. It's not a failure. It's a step forward. So I feel like it is super hard, as you said, like coming out of high school and typically biomed attracts the best students, the top marks and coming into that environment where you're no longer the big fish of your no. high school. You're amongst big fishes. You're all amazing, flawless, impressive students competing for the same placements at the same amazing hospitals and having that whole challenge of you need to get top marks to get into whatever lies down the road, surgery, yeah. further study, all of those kinds of things. Um, do you feel that sense of, similarly to your um you're running do you feel that same sense of pressure with biomed that you know there's a job at the end of this and good marks are going to be the thing to get you there yes but that is for me even more of a reason to take it slow rather than get (laughs) so stressed out in the moment so if I'm getting too stressed about a subject and I know I'm not going to do well in it but it's not because I can't do the subject I'm I'm, I, I kind of look at it and I go, no, if I had the time and the space, I would do well in this subject. But at the moment, I'm too stressed or at the moment, there's too many other things going on. And that's where I'm like, okay, time to let it go. Like drop that subject, move forward. And that's for me, the fact that I want to get good marks, um, not necessarily to get into anything, but just more for myself and just go, okay, because I can. It's like, I know I can get the good marks in this. And why would I be my own self-limiter by trying to take on too much at once? And so for me, that is the reason to take it slow, to put more effort in and to give more time to each subject Um, and just not get so caught up in the whole thing of, no, I have to keep going, I have to push through, I have to keep going. Because, yeah, like I actually still don't know what I want to do afterwards. Like in my mind, I might go into research or academia or, or medicine or anything. Like to me, the potential is limitless, but that's kind of both scary and exciting at the same time. I think it's so interesting that here in this context you speak of not pushing yourself too far, you know, taking the space, but then in running we're speaking about, (laughs) no, there's no way, I'm going to keep going, I'm not going to stop your first race, I'm going to keep running the whole time. Do you find it hard or almost contradictory to flip between those mindsets of when to push through brick walls and when to say, okay, I'm going to rest? I'm getting a lot better at resting and taking it easy in running and in training, like that whole idea of train smarter, not harder. Yeah. Um, because I suppose I was that bulldog trying to like barge through everything and get all my training done and a bit more obsessive about it up until I got injured. Um, funnily enough, does that to you. Mm. Um, but um, I suppose when I am actually sitting down to study, I, I have the same approach. It is the same thing. And It's more just I look at it and you go, okay, you've got these two big passions in life. Which one is throwing you the most opportunity right now? And it's like right now I'm studying. Like so that that shouldn't be 
that's not too much pressure. Like everyone says they miss the days of being a student. Like it's a good <laughs> life. It's not like I'm not com- about to complain about that. So if I'm complaining about it, there's something wrong. And But in running, in terms of the goals I want to achieve, it's, I'm playing the long game. I don't want to peak this year. I don't want to peak next year. I want to be at my peak when I'm 30, 32 because I know that it takes 10 years to build a like true proper elite level runner. And so I don't get too caught up in the results now which is the same with uni. Like I don't get too caught up in right now, this moment has to be perfect. But again, it's still like, what What do I want to put more time towards at the moment? And it's like, well, a medical career can wait years. <laughs> like, And a medical career, like it's a good backup in a way um, for now. Like it will be my focus at some point. But right now the focus is the training and the running because that takes so many bloody hours in the week that it's like you don't, I don't, I know if I burn the candle at both ends, I risk doing a bad job of everything yeah. rather than a good job of one thing and just let the other one simmer away. Does that management of, you know, the two pots cooking on the stove, does that ever weigh on your mind? Like the guilt of, oh, I'm not dedicating enough time to this one. Oh, I've worked too hard on that one. Um, in a way, I suppose so. But also I don't, not really because I do dedicate if there's one thing I don't dedicate much time to it's social life Um, there's always something to miss exactly so it's kind of like I've missed a fair number of family holidays and events and all sorts of other birthdays and stuff because I am either studying or training so it's kind of I have my list of priorities and it's like training in the day my studies my training comes first and then my study is filtered around my training but I dedicate And I always make sure I still dedicate enough time to training. And in exam time, training decreases. Exam goes up. Like I don't expect much of myself in running during exam time. And so it is a constant to and fro and play. But I've never had a problem of like going too far in one direction. Because if I ever go too far in one direction, it is like I probably in one way went very much in the direction of running second semester last year, but it's like you've got an Aussie singlet to work for. Like yeah. that's a big thing. That's not something that everyone gets. And I like I take it as seriously as anyone would. Um, and for now, this is the thing that I need to concentrate on because yeah. it'll allow me to do better in my studies. Exactly. And then the all... day it flips where it's like I need to get a really good mark on this to get the job that I really want. Training will take a back step. That's fine. Life is more than running. But right now, running is showing me all these opportunities that I could never have dreamed of. Like the amount of races that I'm looking at in all different countries of the world and all that sort of stuff. I'm just like, geez, pinch me. Like who would have known that I'd be any good at this, let alone like able to travel with it. So yeah, like you live each day like you're going to live forever sort of thing. But at the same time. If something chucks you an opportunity, it's just that reminder of life's short, go for it. Like, yeah. what have you got to lose? Like, I'll go broke. That's fine. I am broke. I'm all constantly that's right. broke. And that's that's the student lifestyle. Oh, is it ever? <laughs> but it sounds like you're doing a pretty good job of managing those two elements. But you've added a third, Still We Rise, your blog. Yes. <laughs> How did that little project start? Um, I suppose I've always loved writing. I have, like, I've got poetry books and writing and journals from back when I was a little girl 
Um, poetry is the main thing that it's like if it, that's my creative outlet. So I've got the sport and I've got the academia, but I've got that creative outlet of poetry that I love writing. I can sit down and all of a sudden two hours later, like move again. <laughs> um, so, and it fits in quite nicely, but Still We Rise actually started when I was doing a fundraiser. So the push-up challenge. I don't know if you ever saw me in the gym doing a ridiculous number of push-ups. You might I not have been around not be at that surprised. time. Um, I had to do like 150 push-ups a day for like a month. Um, <laughs> it was it was a, a long time. Um, but it was raising funds for like mental health charities. Yeah. And I'm with the story I... I've got with my past history, which if anyone is interested, just go read the blog. It's a lot easier <laughs> that way. Um, I know it has a lot of power. Like it's got, it's given me the power I've got today. And I know that there's so many people that have been through what I've been through, worse, similar, same, different. It's like, there's so many people that have been through it that they don't have the platform and they don't have like, I've been told I have like, and I've, I've got the ability to write to, and yeah. I like putting it out there more because I've come from a spot and gotten to where I am today, which is something that people would told me would used to tell me was impossible. Yeah. And so now I'm kind of looking back and I'm going, no, screw you all. Like I've proven this is possible. And I want other people that are back at the start from where I was. If they hear the same words that you can't get there, like if even one person finds what's on the blog and all that sort of stuff that I've tried to put out into the world and that makes them question what that doctor just told them is not possible. Like, if that makes them see a path through and give that little bit of hope that, no, you know what, it might be hard, but there's there's a way, there's always a way. Um, like that thing of you can't, if you can't find a way, make one. Yeah. Um, and that's what I did. And so I documented almost everything from the start of that. And I've still got all that documents. I've still got everything. Um, I haven't put all that out, but I've just put stories of like, of like days in the life and like yeah. um, different amount of diagnoses I've had over the years ridiculous yeah. um, so they're all on the blog and different aspects of things and just trying to raise that awareness that I think we get a lot of awareness raising and a lot of um, advocacy and all that sort of stuff but the thing that I always struggled with is it showed it showed the reality to a to a point and then still got censored yeah. In, when I was reading things because I remember reading other stories of other people that have had struggles with mental health and um, it was either the platforms I was on or how comfortable they felt that I still read it and heard in the voice of the writing a level of shame or just a level of censorship that like yeah it's bad but like you didn't and then I'd read it and go okay what you've written there is bad but why is my reality so much worse like is there something yeah. more wrong with me because my reality is so much worse and then at the moment, and then now through sharing that, I get so many people going that I'm just like, no, no, no. So this gets bad and it gets really, really bad. Like yeah. here's the actual truth of what yeah. actually happens. And yes, it's hard to read. It's hard to write and it's harder to live through. But if people don't know how bad it really gets and then all of a sudden they experience it in life, whether it's them or a loved one, you're left questioning, oh shit, I'm the only one. Yeah. And that's the thing that I felt for so long. And through my own journey, I've realized like I wasn't the only one. It's just that I couldn't find out there what what you needed to be what reading. I needed to hear sort so of thing. One of the things that I think is so remarkable about you is how open and honest you are with things. Like you've had a history of severe mental and physical illness, whether it be, you know, those labels, you know, you have depression, anxiety, you know, eating disorders, psychosis, whatever it may be. And I think 
one of the things that's so special about you is that whole mindset that we've already heard about, you know, labels, I don't need them. I'm doing my own thing and you can apply those labels to me, but I don't see that I do my own thing. Do you think that's one of the things that's harmful about the way we currently speak about mental illness, that we're so happy to chuck a label on things but not actually understand the variety of experiences behind it and then, yeah, receive those vanilla-washed accounts of things like depression and anxiety without realising that, hey, it gets a whole lot worse but the public's just not ready to hear that or perhaps we are ready to hear it but just not hearing it. Yeah, and so that with the whole labelling thing, like the way I see labels and even the way it's taught now in the psychology subjects I've done, it's like they're just a way to access support. Like they're just a way that to bloody work the insurance system and get get the money back for the things you need. Like you can have, you can say someone's got an eating disorder and it's like, well, they could have one of like 10 different eating disorders at like a million different levels and shades of grey per disorder. And even with like depression, like there's, it's, it's, everyone's experience is going to be different, but there's, and there's different levels of it. And yes, I'm like the amount of times that I've been given a diagnosis, read, what it was all about and it made sense and it was a big relief is amazing but also then as you sort of live your own experience it's also about separating yourself from the label and going okay it doesn't have to like it's not going to be textbook and just because it's not I'm not like a textbook and I don't fit in a box doesn't mean I don't have the disorder doesn't mean I don't struggle um it just means that I struggle in my way and I need my own version of help and that's the one thing that I was always told throughout everything. It's like, well, we think you've got this, but you don't fit in the perfect box. Yeah. And I'm just like, like, even when I first got diagnosed with an eating disorder, that was the most damaging one in a way, because it's like, oh, you've got this eating disorder that's not quite anorexia, but it's still an eating disorder, but you don't qualify for the treatment of anorexia yet because you don't weigh little enough. And that was when I first became really disenfranchised with labels because I was just kind of like okay so you're telling me I've got all the symptoms but this one number doesn't qualify me for the help so I'm not ready for the help yet sort of thing and then of course in my own path part of my journey I then forced myself into the box like I forced myself to lose more weight oh so I fit gosh. that box yeah. and I was already sick and they'd already told me I needed the help um but they were just like but you can't access it because you don't fit this box yet and so by forcing myself into the box I just got more sick like the, literally the system helped me get more sick so that then I could recover and it was just those sorts of things that I'm just like this is why we do need the more awareness that no it's all on a spectrum and even if someone's given a label don't have one view of what that label looks like I actually had a chat with this about a friend to a friend the other day if you tell someone you've got OCD and the response is oh can you come clean my house and you're just like no man like okay so here's the thing I had OCD and it had nothing to do with cleanliness I had the messiest house going round sort yeah. of thing. And people just don't even realise that that's a thing. And that's the sort of barriers that I'm hoping slowly, and I feel like they're slowly getting broken down, but it's like even the bloody organiser, or not the, the, like Instagram and Facebook, they've got mm. all these things going on about how we're trying to help mental health and that sort of thing. But there was one of my posts that got 
the most positive feedback from any of my posts and it was the only post that got taken down off both things like it's still mm. on my blog yeah it's the one about psychosis and it's probably the hardest to read but it's the truest out there yeah. sort of thing because people don't talk about that yeah. like the amount of times that yes you've got to have a laugh at yourself sometimes in a way where I'll introduce myself to someone and they'll find out about mental health history and then I go oh yeah and I've had psychosis and then the way that people change in an instant in the way they treat you and I'm just like you know I'm still the same like the person that I before I told you that I'm the same yeah. person I could have not told you that sort in the of last thing. five minutes I haven't had a personality transformation exactly, I'm still the exactly. same and it's just that whole idea of going okay no matter what the label is there's a person underneath yeah. and every label for that person is going to be as different as we are individuals sort of thing and so trying to help people see the person beyond is yeah. the biggest thing and it's the biggest leap forward I think in trying to see put the more first-hand views and first-hand experiences that are out there that are actually able to be reached by people and read by people the more people will see oh hang on okay so this person and this person have the same label but they're like the most different presentations you could imagine like that's that's what people need to see more of rather than everyone with the same label like all the shows on ECD are about cleaning houses yeah. like Come on, guys, Come on. that's not it. <laughs> yeah. Given all of these labels that are slapped onto you, Simbrick, as the person, athlete, uni extraordinaire, how is it that you'd like people to see you? Oh, geez, just a human. Um, we're all human. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, that's the thing. Like, I don't want – like, it, it actually irks me when I, I rock up to races or anything and all of a sudden people get – nervous around me or something like that or like even like oh the weirdest day of my life was when I'd won a particular race and then the first time someone came up and asked to have a selfie with me and I was just like no 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 I'm just a little little human like if you oh. could see I wanted to then tell them about all my faults I was like no man oh, like no. come on like oh this is this is where I've screwed up everywhere in my life and that I suppose imposter syndrome yeah exactly back. and that's I suppose why I really love surrounding myself with the people the friends I had in high school that they were my best friends when I was bloody like when I was a completely different person I looked completely different yeah. and it's like especially coming from the background I have where I was I looked the exact opposite like I was very very overweight and I was did not fit in in high school in any way and the best friends I had in high school I still like I just want to hug them every day because <laughs> I'm just like there's all these people now that I look a certain way because of what the life that I live and I'm a lot happier and therefore I look healthier and that's fine but I don't want friends because of that like I don't I don't want to fit in like I actually kind of like I'm like well I didn't fit in then and so the friends I had when I didn't like they're the ones that I know are genuine they like me for me sort of thing and so yeah it's interesting when you get you get different labels and you fit in in different crowds and that sort of thing I've never found a crowd I bloody well fit in but that's <laughs> fine by me um I don't want to so that's okay but um I see so many people struggling and changing who they are just yeah. to just to fit that that label that they think they are and I suppose I've learned because before everything and that was my view was like well if I saw someone in the street talking to themselves or someone with schizophrenia like I had that fear I was the same as everyone I had all those misconceived ideas of the fear and you cross the street and it's that sort of thing and then all of a sudden and it was one of those things it's like oh that'll never be me like yeah. never ever yeah. and then all of a sudden I became that person yeah and then I went from the, I literally would be walking down the street talking to myself. I thought everyone could hear my thoughts. Like I was in the padded rooms exist people. Like I've lived in them yeah. for a little while. Um, and that sort of thing. And it was one of those things that now on the other side, when I was in that, I would never have believed I am today. And so I've learned not to define myself by anything because it's like, okay, well, 
anything's possible. And so I suppose that's what gives me a bit of like the brash confidence of going as soon as I started mountain running and as soon as I kind of got a bit of confidence there, it's like all of a sudden I'm looking up course records and I'm looking up records of different things and it's like, well, you know what? If someone else can do it, then why the hell can't I? Like... It's a good approach. You are amazing. Thank you so, so much for coming in and having a chat with me. I just think that you've had such an interesting journey and, you know, we love the word journey, but it has been a really interesting time for you. And I think having so much success, so many like failures and difficult times, but having triumphed over all of it and more importantly, the attitude of, I am going to triumph over all of it. I think it's so admirable and, yeah, I'm really stoked to call you a friend. So thank you so much thank for you, coming Hannah. in. Thank you.